gentlemen, we are back, back in the lab here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and today uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, Sammy and I decided that we wanted to watch, you know, one of our favorite movies and just talk about that. It's been actually a while since I've watched this, but uh, but today we're going to be doing King of New York by Abel Ferreira, and also, since we're doing this film, we decided to bring in a special return guest, another king of New York, the one and only <laughs> Mr. Gaster Almonte. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me, fellas. Dude, what's up, man? I'm so excited that you're back here in the studio with us. I'm hyped, man. It's one, it's, and this is a good film for it, too. I'm excited. It's one of my favorites. Hell yeah. I dig this. Sure. And uh, so just uh, getting this movie came out in 1990. Do you remember when the first time uh, that you saw king of new york was yeah it was it was it, I, I didn't see it when it came out i saw it uh like in uh like 95 96 in that ballpark where uh my older cousin would regularly watch it upstairs so i had to uh, pretend to go upstairs to like watch like sports or something and i snuck off to my parents yeah i'm hanging out with miguito he wasn't even in the house and i just pressed play on his movie and watched it on my own and I was really tense the whole time worried that either my parents were going to come upstairs or that my godparents Mingito's parents would walk into the living room and see me watching this violent movie by myself but yeah I pulled it off I got to watch it on my own it is definitely worth that adventure if you're a explorative young kid and you want to watch violent movies you should do it it's worth the risk sure 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 and this is a violent movie but I'd like to say it transcends just sort of you know, it's not just violence. It's not like Saving Private Ryan. Right, right. Which is sure. just purely for me uh, an exploitative violent film. <laughs> yeah, but if there's people of color in a movie, then it's uh, innately more violent than, sure. than <laughs> a bunch of white people killing not Nazis. <laughs> I'll say this. Um, this movie had an X rating when it first came out, and it was uh, over two hours long, and they had to cut it down to get that R rating. Really? And the X was not for porno- pornographic sex. It was definitely for it was, violence. Yeah, for, for content and violence. <laughs> right. Really? For, I didn't really could do that. Yeah. That's yeah. thing? Okay. I think when you blast a cop in the face with a shot-off shotgun, that's, like, uh, that'll get you an X rating. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. Okay. Also, it's like uh, almost like five inter- uninterrupted minutes of subway titty. <laughs> yes. Right, there that'll is get that, you too. that. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and we have a... Uh, <laughs> We have a fantastic person to thank for for that. This is uh, this a film was directed by Abel Ferreira, and uh, I, I think he's a true son of New York City, and he he loves New York. He's yeah. like the anti, like in the same way that Woody Allen, all of his movies are New York centric. Right. Uh, Abel Ferreira is, is like a like a hipster version of that. Right. Uh, like early like seventies OG hipster version. It's a, a a different depiction of New York. It's not you know like a. Yeah, the Upper West Side, a thirty-block radius. He started making these dope, uh, like cult grinder movie, uh, grindhouse movies, mm. like a uh, Driller Killer, which uh, reminds me a little bit of like the Son of Sam, but it's about a uh, like a, a hipster artist in the in the Soho Tribeca era when that was like Bushwick, where people were buying lofts for fifty bucks. Right, <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to think of like parts of Manhattan as actually being bohemian or like cool. Right. Yeah. Like now Manhattan is just like a bunch of uh, like Bank of America buildings. <laughs> yeah, know? things have changed a bit. Yeah. If a you bit. go visit, like people were like, "I want to visit New York City." I'm like, "What? Like why? To go <laughs> to go to the M and M store in Times Square? Like get a slice of Sabaros? What's wrong with you?" I've never heard it pronounced that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Saberos. Saberos. Sounds like, like a bullfighter. <laughs> <laughs> he starts with the Mets. <laughs> Tony Sabero. Yeah. Third base. Yeah. Very authentic. <laughs> Love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Sabera, a member of the Amazing Mets. Who, uh, sounds, yeah, sounds like a Wu Tang alias. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, dude! <laughs> I started watching that Wu Tang on Hulu. Okay. Uh, the, oh, did you? The story of the Wu. Yeah. Sure. Heartfelt. Is heartfelt. it? I'm waiting for the Inspector Deck to show up. Yeah. Where is yeah, he? He's, he's just not, not there. Yet. No, they just have. Right now, it's just uh, we're on episode three. It's Ghost. Uh, who else is Ray? Yeah. And uh, Riza. Riza and ODB. I had a feeling they would kind of weed and out You God, Deck, Shorty Shit's Day, and those dudes just didn't make the cut for a primetime Hulu. <laughs> is is right. that supposed to be a real story, by the way? It's like a yeah. biopic? Sure, it's the origin story. The origin story. Because mm-hmm. they I, are. That is a comic book feeling uh, group. You have to like watch it. Like, I'm in awe that that's, if that's what really happened, that they ever become cordial. Like, the storyline is insane so far. Right, right, yeah. Well, they were all, like, part of warring factions on Staten Island, and the RZA was, was, the, uh, was the peacemaker ah. who brought everybody together. Yeah. Very, very surprising. Go figure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, did you ever, there's this great New York documentary, Rubble Kings. That's which, great. Yeah, and which is about how uh, these, um, the, how, like, hip-hop kind of, like, brought the warring gangs together because they were all, like, fighting for, you know, like, rumbling in the rubble and then but then you know africa bam and the rest of those dudes were like all right instead of battling with knives let's battle with beats yeah <laughs> fresh i feel like bambata was battling with some other things <laughs> other demons uh i don't <laughs> pedophile but uh alleged uh multiple sources <laughs> confirmed confirmed <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah. Is there any movement where the guy at the top of the pyramid is not a pedophile? That's a good question. I Rubble, ask. Rubble Kings was real life warriors. It was. That's, that's what a, that was. That's a good. It's a great mm. documentary. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. It's uh, it's excellent. Well. It's yeah. fun to watch. It's not really. It's about. Uh, it's not about um, Africa Bam, but about another gang uh, whose name uh, escapes me right now. I think it was the Ghetto Brothers, might have been the name. But they were. But they were like the antecedent, the before hip hop. They were the guys that were like, all right, let's bring peace. Let's. Uh, Let's let's play rock and salsa music together. Right. Let's, let's make it a party instead of a, a battle. That was beautiful. Um, and then and so so yeah. Uh, but and I, I'm t- I guess tying that in, King of New York is one of those movies that one of the first um, hip hop soundtracks in a mainstream movie. Yes, indeed. Right. I think it's the most sampled. I, I would say maybe outside of Scarface, but the actual the most sampled. In hip hop that I've ever heard. That you mean the hip hop community loved King of New York. Loved it. Yeah. Specifically, the New York. Sure. Faction. This is definitely the first one also that like I watched specifically because of hip hop. Like I know like uh, the source cover was a big reason I watched it. I remember like Biggie being called the King of New York. Right. And I didn't understand the reference and having to go see it afterward. Like oh, okay. He called himself the Black Frank White. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if he referenced himself that way on his first album, but I don't think he did. No, I feel like that source cover is what gave him the idea. Like Probably. Like everyone saw it and it was like, oh, this is a genius like, yeah. kind of like title. Because that title had never been had never come up before. No one was ever dubbed the King of New York before that. No. And definitely, I don't even, and I don't think anyone was using the Frank White thing either. In any way, no, no, I think that was like the pivotal moment for that movie and for that movie's involvement in hip hop. Yeah, I mean that's why I saw this movie. 
94, 95, I think. Who were some other uh, hip-hop artists that referenced this film? Um, man, 50 Cent, Mob Deep. Mob Deep used an actual beat from the opening scene of the movie when he's getting out of prison. Yeah. And it's like that quiet or- orchestral piece. Mob Deep uh, used it on a song called Give It Up Fast. Fat Joe on, on Jealous One's Envy, you referenced it 15 different times, used different samples from, like, audio clips from the movie. Uh, Themes. Yeah. Uh, Al Tariq, fashion from the Beat Nuts, <laughs> a.k.a. fashion, cool-ass okay. fashion. Tupac did. Common scent. Yeah. Common I, uh, sense. I heard uh, Saigon use it uh, yesterday. Another West Coast dude. No, he's New York. No, he's in New York, You're yeah. right. He did it on a song with, uh, what's his name, uh, Ali Vegas. So, like, a real, like, niche New York. Song, I love it though. Deep yeah. cut, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Abel Ferreira is a hip hop icon. Who knew? <laughs> I don't think he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he didn't know at the time. But I mean, also he had uh, Schoolie D as he, as the main artist on the soundtrack. Yep. Who was from Philly? That's right. But uh, but still kind of cool. Like this is the first uh, movie I saw with a like a crack rap with cowbells. Soundtrack, yeah. <laughs> that, it, this isn't that boom bap. This is that. No. This is that hi hat. Yeah, uh, like a New Jack City crack rap. Right. You know, very different. Let's <laughs> call it the Nino Brown. Uh, and then, so this, so th- it's cool. Uh, go back, check out Abel's other movies: Driller Killer, Miss Forty Five, Bad Lieutenant, The Funeral. Those are all. Those are. Uh, this is part of uh, his, and this fits into that. No, I, lo- just, I love all of his yeah. movies, but they are all. Very, they all have uh, gritty locations and high fashion, low fashion. They're all disturbing. They make you feel weird about shit. They make you feel really weird. They're all ambiguous. There's no good guy and bad guy. It's never clear cut. And there's always moments in these films where you feel a little uncertain as to like uh, how you should feel about the characters. Yeah. He doesn't like cops, this guy. No. Well, who does? Who does? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well... And then in this film, we also have a bunch of fantastic actors yeah. in their fr- their freshman right. uh, year. Yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. all of them, as far as like uh, who's who of uh, New York character actors. Yeah, uh, on, in, if these guys were rappers in the source, they would all have been unsigned hype. There we at go. This moment, <laughs> they would have been you, God, Inspector Deck, <laughs> Shorty Shitstain. <laughs> yeah, they're com- they'll, they'll be uh, they'll be big next season. Trust yeah. me. There we go. The New so. York character actor scene. All of them blew up eventually. We had Wesley Snipes, who was apparently living in his car at this point. Larry Fishburne, Steve Buscemi, Giancarlo Esposito, to name a few. Christopher Walken's always been a New York actor to me. Right. We have uh, David Caruso. Right, that America's guy. America's favorite redhead. Fucking howdy doody. And uh, and uh, the old the old guy who has uh, who's got, looks like the thing, Victor Argo. Yeah, him. Who's yeah. worked with Abel Ferrara a couple of times. <laughs> he did. He does look like the thing's granddad. <laughs> I, I I I can't. I know you mentioned it, but we I cannot just skip over the fact that he was Larry Fishburne at this point, too. I right. think that's awesome. Like, I feel like the whole time, like, on set, he was trying to convince people, like, you know, it's Lawrence. They're like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, all right, Larry. Shut up, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> You're still Larry. You're still Larry to us. Uh, and, uh, yo, dude, he, he's the best, man. Uh, Larry Fishburne in this plane, Jimmy Jump, one of my favorite psychopathic uh, gunmen. In a movie, he's one, one of the most iconic villains I've ever seen. Yeah, dude, uh, well, loved watching him on. I would easily say he stole this movie. Well, yo, man, he's out. He was trying. He was making a splash in every scene he was in, just sipping on root beer. Yeah, pulling out two guns. Yep. Like he thought he thought he was in a John Woo movie. He did. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. he never reloaded. <laughs> 
the, the writing in this movie was very crisp. There was they, they said there was very little room for improv. Sure. So that someone wrote, it's for the bullet holes, Puta. <laughs> a briefcase full of tampons. Sure. And I then, love that he looked through the tampons with hope. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe the money's under this. Right. <laughs> what's this? Like, what's this? I also love that scene. We can talk about that a little bit later. Oh, definitely. And then we've got, uh, I, of course, you can't talk about this movie without talking about the star of it, Mr. Christopher Walken. Right. Yes. Right? Did you know he was a child actor? No. What? Yeah, what? man. He was born in Queens, and his mom, he had uh, two brothers, I think, at least. And uh, the mom was a showbiz mom. She was just really excited to get him tap dancing as a child and uh, putting, sending him out for auditions, for commercials and the stage. And so he's, he's like a young, he's like, you know, Britney Spears, same thing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> child actor. Okay. This is what, th- he's one that made it. Thank God nobody molested him at a young age. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Pause. It got dark there. I like yeah, it. You know? Well, this is, I mean, he's the success story. Most of them don't make it. It's true. Very few become respected actors in their yeah. field. Yeah. Mr. Walken. Okay. It, it's him and the guy from uh, InSync. You know, he's oh, always uh, on SNL. Timberlake. As well. There you go. Yeah, 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 Justin Timberlake. That's it. Both of them. Kill it on SNL. Can yeah, you believe it? It's true. M- yeah. Multiple hosts. Multiple time hosts. Uh, yeah, Walken has, uh, he's got a standing invitation to uh, be a host on SNL whenever he wants. Sure. So, there's that. And he's an accomplished tap dancer. Wow. Both of them? I'm sure. Sure. But I'm just only speaking about Christopher Walken. Oh, I, I didn't see. do a deep dive into Timberlake. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that, it's not that serious. Yeah, I, I, luckily, to, I don't think we're ever going to cover one of his movies. <laughs> Uh, we, you know, who knows? Uh, but uh, walking, you know, for for all the young people out there, Deer Hunter, killing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of what, his uh, breakout performance, Annie Hall. He also played uh, Annie's suicidal brother in that yep. for comedic effect. Uh, Suicide's never funny, by the way, though. Suicide uh, Kings, Suicide Kings, Suicide Kings. There you so go. great, true romance. Uh, yep. And here's the thing Pulp about fiction. Suicide Kings is that he's tied up the whole movie. And he's still better than all of the other actors right. on the screen. <laughs> he's just acting with his eyes and his mouth, and he crushes it. He's very good at that. Yeah. And he's also in Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, Yeah. playing a kingpin, who's also paralyzed, acting only with his eyes and mouth, and killing it. So, Skills. Even a as testament. A, even as an accomplished dancer and physical performer, he's able to use just uh, uh, isolate one part of his body. Uh-huh. And make a performance with that. That's called range, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Skills. <laughs> he talks funny, and I watched this documentary on why he, he does. talks funny. And he's and uh, he's. They say it's because he was raised in Queens, which is uh, everyone there was second generation um, mm. English was their second language, so everyone around him was thinking about what word to say first. Oh, is that where it came from? The, yeah. the pauses. Uh huh. I mean, it's become the, the most iconic uh, impression in Hollywood. Sure, sure. To do. <laughs> it's really painful to watch uh, Bad actors yeah. do the impression of him in front of him. Mm. <laughs> it's weird to watch. I think it must be more, I mean, for, it's uncomfortable for everybody, but no, it's never more uncomfortable than it has to be for Christopher Walken or when someone does like a De Niro impression in front of De Niro or a Pacino and it's like, thanks. <laughs> I mean, knowing the backstory now, the walking one has to be the the hardest one because there's like a dark kind of like personal story there. Right. Like the other ones are like, you know, I would assume like character 
like aspects of just like or like you you like inherited right. that accent. Like this dude's family struggled <laughs> to learn English. They were immigrants. Well, everyone they were around working. him. He, he, he wasn't right. I think he 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 knew English. That was his first language. But everyone he interacted with in the neighborhood spoke English weirdly. So that's why he speaks it weird. Like, right. Like if somebody like if I had that behind me and then you made fun, I'd hit yeah. you. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, bringing up that childhood trauma to make. Yeah. I was trying. I was trying to fit in by pausing. Yeah, the nerve you. It just stuck, the nerve you. <laughs> so this movie came out in 1990. So this movie was ahead of its time. But How in like, so? I mean, obviously, since it, it created an entire subgenre of hip-hop <laughs> right. inadvertently. Um, and a lot of the themes that, that, that's, that are talked about in this. This is like a, a white philanthropist drug kingpin who gets out of prison and tries to, tries to fund a hospital in the Bronx. So he's basically going to run for office at some point. So he's got the greater good in, in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote a – this is the, the plot I got here is prison has driven Frank White mad in a good way. He's obsessed on a mission to clean up New York City by becoming the number one gangster and right. consolidating the warring drug factions under his rule. He goes to war with the Colombians led by King Tito – and uh, the Chinese, led by Larry Wong, uh, and sure. uh, <laughs> the Italians—I can't remember the name of the guy. Artie who, Clay. Artie Clay, which is the least Italian name I've ever heard. Whose fetish is peeing on people's <laughs> yeah, he's shoes. A, he's a pisser. Yes. <laughs> he's a squirter, Mister Artie Clay. <laughs> and uh, so he goes out. He goes to war with these dudes to control the heroin, cocaine, and crack markets. Uh, he runs a multicultural and multiracial crew that's also. Uh, it, it's also uh, in, includes men and women. Sure. Yeah. So he's an equal opportunity employer. Sure. <laughs> sure. Ahead of his time, before affirmative action. That's right. And he wines and dines high society at galas. Yeah. And he goes to experimental theater, but he can also do the jitterbug in crack houses. He's yes. like a yes. He's a man of the people. He's you know like a utility I mean? infielder. Another, yeah. <laughs> another, another baseball reference. <laughs> <laughs> he's Jeffrey's. Ciba- yeah. I don't even know how he pronounced it again. Sibaro? <laughs> Tony Sibaro. From, from Punta Cana. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so he's uh, – so Frank White is comfortable um, on in, in a whole range of different situations in uh, New York City. He really is the king of New York, and he's on a mission to use his blood money to build a hospital in the Bronx. Can he do it before a death squad of disgruntled working-class cops take him out? So in a sense, did prison actually kind of reform this dude? Yeah. <laughs> and had him thinking on a different plane. Like prisons should be showing this movie everywhere right. to like raise funds. <laughs> They're like, this is the, the, the character we want. Frank, did you learn anything? I did. Like you, you like, straight and narrow. It's like, no, no, I'm still going to sell drugs and kill people, but I'm going to use the money for good purposes. He's yeah. like, I'm going to use the skill set I have He's like a top, to make the world a better place. I'm a top level Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, he is. So the, that is one theme in this film. It is the Robin Hood stealing from – but he's not really stealing from the rich. I guess by going after kingpins, he is. Yeah. He's more like Dexter. And I know that we had a conversation about Dexter the last time Gastor was here. This is why we brought him back. There's so much. <laughs> to, re- to really unpack and tease out this obsession you have with Dexter. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That's my expertise, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a point that I thought about like weeks later when Gaster was like, "So you'd, you'd you'd narc on Dexter if he was next to you?" And I was like, "Not Dexter specifically." 
We're talking about serial killers. I've never snitched on anybody in my life, but I was like, man, I felt fucking weird after oh, that conversation. I was like, yeah, this was the. Uh, this so thanks, was guys. The, the, the I'm ju- glad I was a part of that. <laughs> you were the only part of that. I was like on the subway, like thinking about it. Uh, Frank White, though, he is. He is he is this the best uh, movie gangster of all time? Frank White, would you say that he's? I, I think mean, this he's, is an open question for right. debate. I yeah. think he's uh, in term not in not in a uh, not in terms of performance, but in terms of ethics. Yeah. Like he's the like the best person, I think right. of the of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's performances I might have liked better, but in terms of who he was as a character, I would have to say yeah, I think he is. You mean yeah. performances as far as what he did in in within the the movie itself. Right. Like yeah, within yeah. the film itself, I think I'd find, I've, I've seen other gangster films where I like that film's yeah. uh, gangster performance more. A more streamlined approach to dr- selling drugs. I, yeah, he, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on that one too. He's the most selfless. He's like uh, yeah. Bill Gates who pumps jumbos. <laughs> A jumbo yeah. pumping Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's Mr. The, the, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Bill Gates. I'm like, trying to like think of any uh, other philanthropist who uh, does two for fives. Right. Like if uh, if Frank White was born today, he'd be the only gangster that would sign Warren Buffett's giving pledge. <laughs> like, you know, like at the end of this, I'm going to give away my Coke money. You know, <laughs> you know, let it do good yeah. out there in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was thinking about this because we've got these other gangsters who are fetishized in pop culture, like all the Goodfella guys and uh, and Tony Soprano. And they're all just like racist Rats. boomers no. who yeah. love uh, nonsense music. They listen to like Johnny Rockets music <laughs> and only hang out with other old guys who are Italian. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like this homogenous tribal ethnic like square way of living. And our boy Frank White is out here just like yeah. cutting it up with everybody, man. He's got like two ladies as his top lieutenant bodyguards. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned uh the women being as part of the leadership, he was also polyamorous. Like they were in an open <laughs> relationship with the whole group. You know, at several points they make out with him, they make out with other people in front of him, and he's like, you know, whatever makes you happy, baby. Like just <laughs> lets them do it. There's no like beef about it at all. It's sure. Beautiful. And he's, like, yeah, he's enjoying his money. Whereas like the Goodfellas guys all walked around in house slippers, had plastic on their couches, hated their wives, and ratted <laughs> on each other. Yeah, like the opposite of what. What's supposed to happen? Yeah, they were uh, inherently conservative um, uh, people. And they feed off organi- my table. Organized crime is sort of like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I don't like this new stuff. I'm Let's uncomfortable. Let's go the carpet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Frank, Frank's out here, and his ladies are all like, they, they use computers. Sure. Ah. <laughs> he set up. He's he's uh, integrated tech into his lifestyle. Yeah. Fashion. I feel like they all they all could. His crew could have easily gone to Burning Man. And being comfortable at Burning Man. Oh, yeah. They would have run Burning Man. <laughs> sure. They would have had their own camp. Yeah. Sure. Uh, whereas, like, you know, Tony and his crew could not go. Not at right. all. Yeah. This movie's like a love letter to how much white women love cocaine. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. They a... love it. You guys love it. <laughs> <laughs> the secret is out. I like yeah. it. Fuck diamonds. <laughs> yeah. And he rules uh, He rules with love. Frank is a... Uh, is, um, it's a some. gangster that people really like. Yeah. Like he, he was, I don't know. I, I think he was in jail for eight years. I'm going to throw that number out there. Sure. He comes out and uh, they're all loyal. His multicultural crew right. that are is all loyal to him. I always felt like it was a shorter stint than eight years, but it, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter. Sure. A lo- long enough 
to come yeah. up with the uh, the South Bronx hospital scheme. Yeah. You're all welcome. And that he came out like, like President Roosevelt. Like he was like, I got the good deal. Like he was trying to get everybody a job. He was trying to pump up the economy. So yo, you need a job, come meet me here. You know what I mean? Come to the plaza. I got you. Like I thought that was real like industrious of him. He had like a vision <laughs> for the neighborhood. Like whatever you need, you know, we'll make it work. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he saw the good in everyone. That's uh, 100% true, and that's the kind of thing that I don't think I would see with other uh, mobsters. Uh. Like, in the, in other films, if somebody, if Joe Pesci gets crossed in Goodfellas, he's not going to, like, offer the person who uh, threatens to rob him no. a job. Yeah. He's uh. going to grab a ballpoint pen and stab yeah. him 15 times in the face. He'll deliver a fantastic dialogue, monologue, <laughs> and then he'll, he'll handle his business. Yeah. I mean, I think to, like, a Frank to... Sinatra song in the background. <laughs> yeah, right. Whereas, like, Frank will, or like, Frankie Valley. Fra- Frank will do a six-step to uh, Schoolie D and throw, like, $100 <laughs> bills at you <laughs> and be like, meet me tomorrow for more of this yeah, and then shrimp I, and lobster. I got work for you. Right. Here's a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess... What would be the pinnacle, or what? What is the, the the film gangster that is the archetype at this point? It has to be Scarface, I would assume, for the, this type of movie, right? Everyone bases everything off of Scarface. Now. Yeah, I would say so. The most influential. Yeah. The most relatable, let's say. Well, Scarface feels like the most um, to me. He's just like the capitalist drive, right? You know, uh, with no sense of. Um, sharing right it's like it's all just like it's like a shark just trying to accumulate and eat as much as it can but he relates to a, a, a like a almost like a global spectrum of, of like the disenfranchised impoverished people you know he's a refugee that you know right an ethnic refugee that made that made uh an empire in right. literally f- 14 days <laughs> i mean I, yeah <laughs> no i think he's a role model scarface is, a, is like an ideological yeah. they're these are just ideologically different right. types of gangsters right uh. but i think uh scarface the film is i like as much if not more than this right because it's like prettier and they're both not very good movies right like they're not they're <laughs> yeah. flawed they're very flawed films like scarface we watched when i was in like you know seventh eighth ninth tenth we used to we watched it in my high school at a pretty liberal <laughs> high school and we were, like when we got sick of like we it was an interesting place very small school <laughs> little, small like... prep school that kind of like rushed you to get out of high school they're like we, we know you're not entertained right now just uh <laughs> oh my god but if you want to watch Scar- we would just freak out it was a bunch of uh they're like, just write a paper on the yeah. Mario Lito boat cruise, and that's a reason that you can, uh, perhaps, we can justify you watching Scarface. Sure. And we did it three times in, the same, in our <laughs> U.S. history class, actually, yeah. oddly enough. Uh, okay. Well, okay, so you've got to do a paper on economics, yeah. and if you want to do it on the cocaine trade in Miami in the early 80s, all right. You know why? Because <laughs> teachers and professors don't want to do that work either, man. I had yeah. a professor that was the dean of the AU Law School when I was in school that was taking Intro to Systems of Justice. We wa- He was a Brooklyn dude. <laughs> And we watched American Me in that class. Oh, man. <laughs> which I can't even fucking believe was okay. <laughs> Especially at the school that I went to, which was like the most progressively liberal, politically active campus on earth. Yeah, I'm starting to question if you actually have a diploma right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, good, that's a good question. Uh, I don't even know how. He said that if you live, you're from Brooklyn, you would get an A. And like, this is college? Yeah. I went that's to the awful. Uh, DeVry I was like, School in of Film Studies. Yeah. <laughs> He was the dean of the American University Law School. That's cool. Which is crazy. I'm just uh, putting this dude on blast. This is like the best. <laughs> He's getting the 
Gaster, you're totally right, man. This is the best gangster fantasy. Uh, there's like polyamorous relationships with models and lawyers. Yeah. So he goes from like high to low or yeah. like low to high. And, and that's something in this movie. Like, you, you see the heights of uh, the gangster lifestyle, but also, like, the grittiness of it yeah. in alternating scenes. But, um, you know, a, as a gangster, what a, what a cool way to live where, like, you don't have fights between your wife and your... Um, every other gangster movie is, like, yeah. fights between wives and mistresses. And he's just open. No attachments, dude. He's yeah. like a free flow. He's a rogue shark. With, like, a, a semi-loyal team of remoras. And what another cool... That's another cool fantasy. Like, you get out of jail and you've got loyalty from your crew. Like, what a fantastic first day. Yeah. You, uh, two women pick you up in a limo, and then you go to the Plaza Hotel where you take a shower. Mm-hmm. You get out of the shower. Jimmy Jump and the boys show up with a suitcase full of money and a suitcase full of Coke. And uh, your rival... Your dead rival's uh, Michael Jackson gloves. Yeah. <laughs> King Tito. King Tito. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> then he does the dance and everything's good. Do it there. The great yeah. thing about him as a character, I think, is that it ages, he ages so well as far as, I liked the movie when I was a kid, but for kind of all the wrong reasons, the, I watch it as an adult and I'm like, this this guy is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what a fucking g- brilliant criminal mind. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he, he also, the other fantasies for gangsters is there's a comeback in this. Right. You know, I don't think most criminals have a second act. I think you go to jail, you come out, and you like you uh, are a speaker in a scared straight program. Right. <laughs> However like, short lived the second act was, it was a second act. Yeah. A redemption song for this dude. I yeah. was also impressed with the lack of gay like disses. Like for a movie of that era, yeah. I expected to have to cringe more. Like to your point, he aged very well. Normally, like a '90s gangster film, they would have said a ton of f bombs. Sure. Like a ton of things. I'm like, oh man, I can't watch this with the kids. Sure. He is pretty clean. Like he's a very progressive guy. I'm I like, love Yo, this is awesome. King of New York, a gangster <laughs> movie you can watch with the kids. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a, that speaks to Abel Ferrara, who like grew up, you know, in the city, and probably was exposed to, you know, in New York in the you know '60s, '70s, and '80s. You were exposed to every type of human being, and oh, you just learned yeah. that everyone's a human being. Yeah, his movies are really there's no differences, gritty, but there's like this love surface differences, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, agreed. There's he, a love for for all of his, everyone. Um, his uh, scummiest characters right. and every uh, subculture and, you know, I mean, and why, what I mean by that is like he's, this is like a love letter to a bunch of criminals. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least in the eyes of the law. Right. And then we have, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I, I think that if uh, Frank had gone to like the gay neighborhood, yeah. he would have made a, a, a crew of gay crack dealers. I agree. That's what I found beautiful about it. Like, this is impressive. Yeah. He, he really just uh, sees the person. Like, I wanted to see him in a in like a club. Yeah. You know, going in and being like, see me if you want a job at the plaza. Like, <laughs> That's you guys awesome. You can sell as much crystal as you want. You I know? really believe it. Absolutely. Uh, well, um, so what else? What else do we have about this? Oh, an- there's a lot of ambiguity in this movie. I know we see, um, and what I mean by that is like there's these brief moments where Abel Ferrara like uh, shows these touches of these moments that like misdirect. And uh, here's like in the plaza. We're in the plaza, and Frank meets his crew, and they all hug him, and they all love him, right? And everybody's, and they give him all these gifts. And then he asks, uh, why didn't you visit me in, in prison? Yeah. And Jimmy's like, I didn't want to see you in a cage. Yeah. But that moment when he asks him, like, why didn't you visit me in prison, to me it makes me feel like, oh, yeah, even though we've just been shown that there's all this love, there's this one moment 
where it's like, is it really love? Yeah, 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 yeah. a little if bit of vulnerability. Because uh. they do, they abandon you when you're in prison. And then when he puts on King Tito's glove right after that, and he's like bragging about it, <laughs> they've all already turned. They've all already left. He's like, King Tito's glove. Like, <laughs> that's a moment where you'd expect. Uh, him to want to want to receive like some congratulations or like a good job, or, right? Like, yeah, huh. but they're already off to the party. So even in these moments of like great um, celebration, or how we've been expecting to see him as the man, uh, it just reminded me that we're we're all alone. Oh. We're all gonna die alone, no matter what. I even thought after we, your big victory, like when he asked that question too, like <laughs> that had to be the most disarming answer ever. Like, I didn't want to see you in a cage. Like, how do you not cry? Sure. Like, when you hear, I don't care how gangster you are. That was genuinely sweet. Well, yeah, uh, like, that's the thing. It's like, cage, you know, man. that's like visiting people when they're sick, too. It's like, I honestly, um, I have a hard time visiting people when they're in the hospital. And I'm sure that they would want it. Yeah. But I don't want to see them, like, uh, like, uh, like on their deathbed. Or, yeah, like, yeah. I have a lot of trouble uh, hiding what's in my head on my face. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> have a naturally offensive look. You go, you visit your friend at the burn ward, and they're like, yeah. "How do I look?" And you're like, "Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. not going to work with me." Just, um, I don't have a good bedside manner. <laughs> right. I mean, that's why I call it ambiguous. Fuck, like you can man. read it either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Can either read it as a disrespect that they didn't visit, or read it as uh, something sweet. Yeah. And I, I think that was the point. Like he didn't know what the answer was going to be either. That's what's so dope. Like, he gave him an opportunity to genuinely answer the question, and I think his response would have been dependent on the answer. I think it was a great answer. He couldn't have answered that any better Yeah. in general. Or wanna, like I who hate... wants to see you in a cage, man? Uh, and yeah. just turns around, fucking A. Freaking Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Are these, uh, these cops, right? That's another... Oh, well, Larry. Larry's another... You know, I've, I've heard people talk about that, the scene where um, uh, Jimmy Jump is uh, buying fried chicken. That is... Like, that's that whole my, scene blows my mind. It's let's talk ways. about the scenes in this one. Let's we can start with that one. Oh, we'll definitely talk about all the scenes. So yeah, the Jimmy Jump one. Yeah, he's uh, he's buying fried chicken. Yes, he's disrespecting the guy behind the counter uh, and orders like whatever, like a hundred pieces of fried. <laughs> he was so fucking unnecessarily mean to that guy behind the counter. It was kind of a prick, but he didn't even do anything wrong. He's like, "Yo, motherfucker, look, hey, snacks." Yeah. He just didn't like his tone. Nuts shit. I don't know what. Yeah, he just got triggered. For no reason. Yeah. Because he's an asshole. <laughs> he's, also, he's a sociopath. That's how he, that's how he handles. He's, he's, he's got a, what, a hair trigger. Yeah. And then those little kids are trying to play Airwolf. Right. Or whatever. Like Operation Wolf. Guy yells the, at them. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm bothered by the fact that I told you guys this off the air. Like, I am uncomfortable with how many quarters he had on him. <laughs> like, he pulled out a right. stack of bills that was all hundreds, gave the grandma a hundred dollar bill, and then with his other hand took out a wad of quarters. And I just can't understand how the same guy that has stacks of hundreds also has handfuls of quarters. The only way I can figure it out or, or make make sense of it is it's New York and he he does laundry. So he does his own laundry. Yeah, it was you know Real, it's possible he's out there. He's, it was laundry day that day. Real gangsters don't do drop off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I was he's also. Like, he's like, you think I'm gonna trust someone else with this laundry? I ain't going to motherfucker. Let's <laughs> sit here La and watch. <laughs> then also, I hadn't seen the movie until we discussed watching it again, and I was blown away that. The prices at the chicken shop is still the same right. today. Like the flyer still says like three piece four ninety nine, 
and this was 1990. That that's what I paid yesterday. Right. Like, that is incredible <laughs> how stable that is. Like rent has shot up in New York yeah. so much, but chicken, nah, we still got you. Kennedy yeah. fried chicken, in, yeah, in, inflation proof, <laughs> which is crazy. There's Kennedy fried chicken here, but there's also Kennedy fried chickens in D.C. Yeah, and they're all in the same neighborhoods, and they're all the same price. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. Never inflation. It's a great business model. <laughs> Whatever they're doing, they're doing right. Yeah, I. You know, uh, we we didn't we never get to see all the people that are upset that they didn't get their chicken from Jimmy Jump. Right, because he, he he ordered chicken for an army. Yeah. Also, I love the, my favorite part about that scene is that he when he walks over to the grandmother after he gives the kids the quarters, he goes, "No disrespect, ma'am," and just gives her a hundred dollar bill, yeah. which I thought was the best part of that scene. Shows right. a little bit of heart from what is clearly a pretty heartless dude. <laughs> yeah, she's, no disrespect. She can man. pay rent for a month with that. And her in face 1990s lit up. Years. Yeah. Her face lit up to the point, like the opposite of what my face would look like if I visited a friend of mine in the burn ward. <laughs> yes. You know, just happy elation. Uh huh. <laughs> Not this pensive, hor- hor- horrified look. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I still got it. Yeah, look at me. Yeah. No, so. no disrespect taken. <laughs> I'm also mad that. He gave her a hundred, and from what I could tell, didn't pay for any of the. Chicken. No, he said "fuck you, fuck you" very much when he walked out. Actually, is exactly what he said verbatim. It was double the tap. Right? Yeah, like fuck that poor guy, the working man you in know? a thankless job, <laughs> just pumping well, fucking cholesterol into the neighborhood. I'm convinced that's why they all have like bulletproof dividers now. It's because of that <laughs> movie, that jump. scene. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, we're not having this happen. This is too realistic. At the very least, people are going to be inspired to, like, reenact it. They're like, nope, let's put up this glass. Yeah, well, you know what? Be nicer. That's what, what the... I have to say. Open nice if you're the fried chicken man. What was the first time you saw yeah. Bulletproof Dividers at, like, a convenience store slash gas station? I'm trying to remember what mine was. I don't well, know why. Uh, it was definitely D.C. It was definitely in Adams Morgan. D.C. had it, and especially, yeah. Yeah. Chinese spots had them. Yeah, Chinese then, spots had them early. I, I can't remember not yeah. seeing them in Chinese spots. Because they stayed shook. Yeah. <laughs> um, they stayed smart. <laughs> they stayed smart. Just like, what is it? The megaphone? Uh, yeah. Uh, I saw it in Memphis when I was a kid, too. That was the place. In Memphis, you couldn't legally sell 40 ounces of alcohol. So they had 38.6s. And you would buy it through bulletproof glass. I'd never seen that before. I'm like, what? I was visiting a buddy down there. That's a that's a rough that's a rough city. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, wow. yeah, we're not allowed to sell 40s. I was like, what? 38.6. So St. Ives has a, a very special bottle that's only sold in Memphis. Right. I was a, I was more of an old English dude, sure. but yeah. Yeah, collector's items. Right. Yeah, what or your that? Mickey's. Mm-hmm. Mickey's hand grenades. Mm-hmm. That was the white supremacist malt liquor. <laughs> that was the first time I threw up. Th- three of those when I was 14. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. First thing I got drunk on was Zima. Right. Was it really? Yeah. That is some shit you How keep to yourself, that? dude. <laughs> You're like one of them, the White Claw dudes. <laughs> First time I got drunk was at Coney Island off a, off a four-pack of White Claw. Just trying to, beat those, just trying to beat those date rape charges and get on, <laughs> get on the Supreme Court. I passed out with sunburned on just one side of my face. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever seen Zima in a store. Like, I saw commercials for it, and then... I saw white people bring it back at like for nostalgic reasons twenty years later. Sure. Like I never lived in the neighborhood that like, oh yeah, the Zima's in the fridge on the right. Like I never seen it. No, we had a Korean um uh corner store that uh sold uh like the empty nickel bags yeah. and uh Zimas to fourteen year olds. Wow. So that was 
<laughs> There's no way. I had a fake ID, but I've you had I've a fake seen, ID. I've seen pictures of myself at 14. There's no way. <laughs> we used to get Freddie to buy it for us. Oh yeah, at Tenley Mini Market. Yeah, we had a homeless dude in my neighborhood that would just buy us. We had a Stony. He made Park. a lot of money. Yeah, Stony. Mm-hmm. Stony. Stony ventured up to Tenley Town at one point too. Sure, sure. He got we us migrating. It was uh, a racket. Winos yeah, that would uh, that would bless us with alcohol if we. we Bless them with a couple extra dollars. No, we we would say like our parents sent us, and that would be fine. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's how I get cigarettes. Yeah. Uh huh. We bring handwritten uh, notes that look like kids' handwriting. Yeah. Like my mom said, I could Yo, buy cigarettes. Like uh, yeah, I don't give a shit. Here you go, two fifty. Yeah. Mommy exactly. wanted a pack of Dutch Masters, right. so I'd like those. Thank you know you. my mom. What yeah. brand does your dad smoke? I don't know. <laughs> that one. Those. God, I can't believe that shit worked. Yeah, those fuckers. My dad smokes Harley Davidson cigarettes. Yeah, Bull Durham's. <laughs> Mag- Magnus. Remember those off brand? That's awesome. Yeah. God, remember those old Benson and Hedges ads? Mm hmm. So, uh. <laughs> Guy so, that looked like Marvin Gaye. For, uh, we can go through this movie. Uh, the movie starts with uh, our boy Frank White. He gets out of jail, mm. he's in the limo. Yes. He goes to uh, the first thing he does is he's see- he's scanning how much New York has changed since his time inside, right? Yeah. And we see like uh, just prostitutes all over the streets, and uh, crack is ravaging the neighborhoods. I, I feel like so he that would... d- yeah, that does offer the timeline I think because it makes it before yeah the crack explosion. And you see Halloween a Halloween four poster, which just definitely dates you, mm. but also shows low culture at that moment. Yeah, like what an unfortunate film. Uh, to come out. That movie sucked. I also but, want to know where in New York he is with all these closed stores. Like, I don't see strips like that of just, like, businesses shut down at night, but still people hanging out. Like, it's usually one or the other. Like, if you're in New York and there's people that are awake, there will be a store that will service them. Sure. You know, this was the only strip in New York. I feel like he was stunned. He's like, no... 20, you know, like no 24-hour deli like in this neighborhood <laughs> you just saw strips of people just standing in front of like gated stores yeah it's very that's the anti-New York to me yeah unrealistic yeah. but maybe you know all of their appetites have been suppressed by the uh, crack by the crack, crack. <laughs> and uh, and they're and because they're all prostitutes maybe they're looking for a quiet streets mm-hmm. to be on yeah so that's and then it, it, the two ladies in the car with them they're like you want to stop baby as though he's what? Like he's going to go, they're totally cool with him just picking up a sex worker right there and then. Right. Lovely relationship. Yeah. Then uh, the next thing we see, we cut to a townhouse, Bordello, uh, that's run by one of the Colombians. Uh-huh. And he goes outside to a payphone, uh, which is a throwback to, <laughs> to when payphones mattered. And, and uh, I, I, if I was in a crime movie, I would never get in a payphone because that is a recipe for disaster. The moment that you step in, somebody's going to stick a uh, screwdriver in to keep you locked in and you're going to get blasted, which is exactly what happens in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I learned a payphone lesson very early. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. The Roy Rogers where we used to get drugs yeah, when I was sure. a kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like a drug emporium. I know you've probably been there. Yeah, but I, I just I just went there for the hamburgers. <laughs> I just felt like for a second you were like, I need to think of something else besides drugs. You're like, nope, I can't edit yeah. this. Uh, well, if you were there for the burgers and the fixings bar, you missed out on some yeah. uh, mediocre drugs, dude. Totally. No, I would just go there. I'd, I'd load up on pickles from yeah. the fixings bar There was get, oh, uh, a large curly fry. There was two payphones outside and... Uh, a lot of transactions happen. This is the day of beepers. So we would get a beep. I, I was on my parents' house phone, <laughs> their landline. My buddy calls me from that 
platform. He's like, we're going to George and Kennedy, which was a, a spot in D.C. to get weed. Yeah. And uh, he's telling me all this information. He's like, yo, I'm going to come by a house, pick up 20 bucks, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, cool. Ten seconds later, my phone rings again. Sammy? Yeah? Uh, what are you doing with that $20? And I was like, what is this? this is, he goes, this is office or whatever from Second District, which is the neighborhood I lived in in D.C. He's like, we're going to be there in 10 minutes. Don't let your friend leave. So I had to fucking... My friend drove up five minutes later. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. The cops are coming. I was like, they just hit me up on the phone. And he didn't believe me. He's like, you're just trying to get out of paying money for weed. And I was like, don't get the fuck out of here. So I made him leave. And like, it took me 15 years to convince him that that's exactly what happened. Wow. Yeah. He never believed me until I had to tell him. The cops never showed up, oddly enough. Because I think what they were doing was illegal. I, I don't think it was a set wiretap. Like, I, I don't think they could... Uh, Wow. They could process. These crooked cops were like, this is it. This is the final straw. Right. We've got to go. We've got to uh, illegally warn these 15-year-olds to stop. And, like, to be honest, it was a bunch of. At the Roy Rogers. Yeah, it was a bunch of. I'm going to save this this neighborhood $20 (laughs) at a time. And I feel like because of the neighborhood that was in, it was like a nice neighborhood in D.C. full of a bunch of fucking wealthy white kids for the most part that were doing a bunch of dumb shit in the city. And it was like, I feel like they, you know. They, they were worried about litigation from someone's parents somewhere down the line. <laughs> so I guess it's a former white privilege. But that shit scared me because he was like, hey, Sammy. And I was like, how do you know my name? You know, and then he's like asking me about the money. He's like, we're going to George and Kennedy. I was like, fuck. Well I just hung up the phone, got my boy out of there. I was like, you have to go. And he was like, no, I'm not going. I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here. He pulled up in my alley. Is it, wouldn't it be simpler if just like your dad just called you like he just eavesdropped on the combo? It wasn't, it was, uh, it was, I don't know, it was summertime. They were all at work, oh. empty house. Mm. I usually don't conduct business out of the crib, <laughs> out of the parents' crib on a landline <laughs> on, an off, on an off day. This is awesome. But yeah, if, uh, my friend just didn't believe me yeah. for the longest time. I was like, Mother, why would I, how could I even make that up? <laughs> like, why would I even tell you? Like, dude, I don't want in on the bag. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I love that it was that even like 15 years later. He's like, you're like, yo, I'm 30. Like, I have yeah. no incentive to lie today. I got, I got a mortgage. Also, I, lo- I loved weed when I was 15. <laughs> I'm not trying to op- opt out of that. Yeah. You know what made weed good in DC? Nothing. 9/11. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Before that, everybody had uh It was all like that that garbage weed that oh, had no. been imported. It right. was all. Like flat brown or yeah. like black weed that was like it was like two dimensional inside the nickel bag, right? And then nine uh, eleven closed all the ports, mm. so People there was growing. this huge drought, right? And the only weed that was left was kind bud, yeah. And so the growers uh, were had a monopoly on the market for a little while, and then after that, everybody's ta- you know they just expanded their business, right? And everyone's taste uh, got more refined, so you couldn't they couldn't go back to that trench weed we, i was exposed to very good weed at a very young age 12 or 13 i think from a mutual friend's mom who was a photographer agent in new york so she would go to D, live in new york and dc one of abel ferreira's friends right probably <laughs> she probably knows him and she would bring back some really good shit that blew our minds when we were little kids she also brought back the first uh wu-tang demo her photographer was did their first photo shoot before that released so she came back with the method man 36 chambers uh Demo tape, like the, the two two singles on one white cassette. Uh-huh. Wow. She's like, check this shit out. Listen to it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I remember being like completely shocked by it. I was Blown just like, away. This is fucking nuts. Sure. Yeah. So different than uh, Can't Touch This. This is 91. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 90, 91. 
Yeah. So we heard of them. I can I can give uh, my friend's mom credit for introducing me to Wu Tang before anyone had ever heard of them. Sure. Before and, that, you were just wearing Young MC T-shirts. And my boy from Memphis used to buy cassette tapes of three. They were called Three Six Mafia in ninety one, ninety two. Uh, they would buy tapes, sell them out of their cars. A place called Pop Tunes, and he would bring them up and be like, "Listen to this shit." And I was like, "This is crazy." I'd never heard, other than the Ghetto Boys at that point, hip hop that sounded like it was recorded in somebody's bathroom. <laughs> the shit was like evil sounding, and these samples were crazy. Anyway, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> a little trip down memory lane. I yeah, love you. sorry. Uh, no, I loved it. Uh, trips down memory lane, going back to the movie. <laughs> the uh... <laughs> I forgot why we were here. I just I love that. I don't know about you, but I'm just really mad. I always went inside the Roy Rogers. Like sure. that, that's what that old tangent told me. I you missed something hung out. out of the payphone. Yeah, you guys missed out on some solid life lessons. Yeah, yeah. I just went and got good chicken. But... With our. <laughs> Uh, it was actually really fucking good fried chicken. These yeah. uh, twenty dollar drug deals, right? So so different than the uh, million dollar uh, drug heists the that happened yeah. in this, right? At the travel lodge. Yeah, let's talk about that scene. Yeah, dude, <laughs> one uh, of my favorites. You can't have a gangster movie without a uh, shootout slash drug deal gone wrong right. in a motel. And we've seen, you know, uh, some of my favorites are maybe the one in uh, Scarface. Of course, in Miami. Oh, Angel the, uh, Martinez. Sure, yeah. with the with the bathroom chainsaw scene. Yeah, that one was rough. Oh, that's a good one. And then there's also in uh, True Romance. Mm-hmm. There's the there's another one where Sam Jackson gets blown away by um, by Drexel. And uh, and then there's and then there's this one. But oh, drug deals just they never go right in the motel. Right, it's not going to happen. Just a bad setting. Yes. So here we've got King Tito, and he is uh, he's doing a deal with Jimmy Jump. And our boy Test Tube, played by a young pre-Reservoir Dogs, Steve Buscemi. Oh, man, Test Tube. Test Tube is like a G.I. Joe character. <laughs> Was that his name, Test Tube? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, ca- I didn't catch that in sure. my like multiple viewings of this movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they ever call him that in the movie, but it's, it's his name in the, uh, credits. In the credits. Okay. Test Tube. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. That's why. It's his code. I can't read. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you need to have a Test Tube with you everywhere you go. Somebody to just check the purity of the drugs. Right. Especially now in today's age with fentanyl and everything. Mm. You know, everybody's overdosing because they're getting these these bum drugs, which is like a little bit of fentanyl in them. Test tube. Test tube. Mm-hmm. Bring him back. Doing his work. Doing the Lord's work out there. Doing the Lord's work. Well, uh, it's pure. Oh, are we ready? Can we do the deal yet? No, man. Check the next bag. You got <laughs> to check every brick, man. Be paranoid. Amen. I, I enjoy... The most about this scene is the amount of like effort that you know the gangsters put in before deciding to shoot them up because they thought of lines. Like to your point, he had uh, this is for the holes, for the bullet holes, <laughs> you know. And also, like you can't forget it, it's slept on because it happened so fast. But room service, bitch, is a pretty cool <laughs> line, you know. Like that's something planned. Like that, he, they told him, "Hey, you're gonna hop into the door." And he was like, "Oh, I gotta have something cool to say for this shit." You yeah. know, and he was at home thinking about that as a gangster. He was like, "Yo, hold on, I can't just walk into the room and shoot right. people." That's the scene that I would have loved to see—just them conspiring to feel like, "What should we do to fuck with Tito?" Yeah, let's just put a bunch of tampons in there, B. Yeah. Right, right. And when you only have one line, black. you've really got to pour all of yourself yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. He really did. Slow mo just pulls both guns out. <laughs> it's for the bullet holes, puta. <laughs> love that fucking movie. Yeah, love yeah, that yeah. scene. Sorry. But I, 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 that is my favorite part of this whole film is knowing that all these gangsters had 
at some point gone home and thought of what they were going to do in response. Like when they shoot up homeboy in the, in the telephone booth, you know that that's just not random that he has the newspaper. Right. You know, he was like, yo, this would be gangster if we shoot him then give him something to read yeah. afterward, you know? And like, they had the paper on him. He had to have that paper on him all day. Yeah. They went out places. He made sure not to take it out of his pocket. He didn't want to spill coffee on it. Yeah. He didn't want to wrinkle it too much. Yeah. Folded right to the page. And he, he didn't fumble <laughs> in the taking of the paper out and making sure the right page was right. forward. That's practice. That's dedication as a gangster. Sure. You know, people don't see the little things, but those thugs, they they, they were prepared. You got to practice pulling it out. You yeah. Know, like, it's like drawing a gun. You got to, because there's only so long the guy's going to be alive before uh, all the light gets extinguished from his eyes. Right. You, you want, want him to have, read it. Yeah. He's got to be able to read it. <laughs> I think it's great. Same with the dude peeing. Like, that's the guy that was prepared. He's like, yeah, I, I drank like three gallons of water, and the second somebody approached me, I'm going to pull out my dick and pee. On his feet, you know. You think that uh, maybe he's got a medical condition? <laughs> he's and just. Is this something he does it. all the time? <laughs> and also, did he ever put his dick away? Like <laughs> I feel like he just sat back down to play cards, and right. nobody told him, "Yo, by the way, yeah. you might want to, you know, he's gonna say that. something." No, it's just like a dog's tongue lolling <laughs> out of its mouth. <laughs> I dribbled on my pants a little bit. <laughs> oh, I only wear dark slacks. Amen. Yeah. Giovanni, give me a towel. <laughs> so after the travel lodge, they go to the plaza, which is uh, just such a cool place, man. Uh, the plaza, you hear it referenced so many times in hip hop songs. Uh, that's where Tony Soprano goes when he's on the rocks with Carmella, <laughs> you know, and it's uh, Donald Trump's property. And here's an interesting note about that is Abel Ferreira got to use it for free mm. because Ivana Trump was a huge fan of Christopher Walken. Rock so all he had to do was uh, get Christopher Walken to take a couple photos. With our, our girl, Ivana T, and uh, he got the place for free. He basically turned that shit into the Jack the Rapper convention <laughs> <laughs> within a matter of minutes. Yeah, I man, I want to, I'd love to have like a, a hotel uh, suite. Just like a base of operations? Absolutely. Yeah, get my fax machine in there, mm -hmm. you know, a mimeograph machine, a couple uh, lady bodyguards, a salt and pepper bodyguard team just <laughs> doing the books for me. You ever notice they're doing all their accounting in this while doing drugs and drinking champagne? I mean, <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen some of my tax returns. Don't separate the business and pleasure. Hey, people use Adderall before they do work. It's the same idea. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Very true. I wasn't sure of what level of success I wanted to like shoot for in life. Like, Do I want to be the kind of person famous enough that if someone takes a picture with me, they'll let me use their hotel for a film? Or... If I want to be so successful that I can give away a hotel room to a film. Like, both of those are pretty impressive levels. Yeah. You know, like, Donald Trump literally said, yeah, you could use the most expensive floor of my hotel. And it didn't fuck with his life at all, like, whatsoever. His day-to-day his -day was not affected. That's crazy. And you know what, man? This movie was made on a $5 million budget, which honestly isn't that much for a film of this, like, uh, scope. Yeah. And one of the reasons that we're able to get this movie at such a rock-bottom price is <laughs> thanks to a 1990 Donald Trump. Amen. He's done some good. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, we, we have him to thank for, uh, for for King of New York and the Plaza. I don't, I don't even want to give him credit for that. <laughs> fuck, fuck that. He had nothing to do with this. Ah, and, uh, yeah, okay, so we got Frank. He goes, he's able to hang out with high society. Uh, he's um, he goes and uh, to some black tie dinners. He meets up with his 
very young lawyer lover, and uh, relative to him. Yeah. And then they grope on the subway for one of the sexiest, weirdest, grimiest makeout sessions ever. And uh, that's where he gets uh, t- attacked by the three guys who want to take his money, muggers. Yep. And he just stares them down, and he scares them with his eyes. Oh, he flashes heat. Oh yeah, he put he what he, Shows he the opens gun. up his uh, right, you know. Mm-hmm. But if the gun's not drawn, and you've got three guys with knives close, I think that you could rush. You could rush him. He could rush them. He they could have rushed him. Oh, I think yeah. he scared. I think he scared them more with just his body language. Well, he didn't move. Yeah, he, did, he seemed undaunted. Yeah. Um, it's true, but that's uh, he alphaed. He alphaed. That's right. Well, uh, how are we doing? How are we doing on time here? Doing okay. Let's take a look here at the. Oh my goodness, we're almost <laughs> to or dear. Oh geez, oh geez, we're almost to an hour. Um. All right. Well, we didn't even get to the uh, to the to the cops in this movie. The Keystone Cops. Yeah. The most uh, incompetent police officers ever. ever. The dumbest <laughs> cops I've ever seen on film. They drove around to threaten a gang, like a, a, a kingpin, with a dead Colombian drug dealer's body in their trunk. Yeah. Do, like, oh, and where did they get this dead Colombian drug dealer? Where did they get? Uh, I mean, they scooped him up at the El travel Zopo. lodge. Right. No, I think that's I think Tito. Was, uh, sure. Whatever they did, that means that they went around the corner, you know, they, because like when you find a dead body, Mm -hmm. there is official protocol for what you have to do with it. You zip it up, you you do forensics. Did they go and break into the coroner's office and like scoop this corpse out, put it in the trunk of a car and then drive to meet Frank? I just feel like they rolled him up in a carpet, took him out of the travel lodge. Yeah. And also like, what, like there's... There's a certain level of risky driving that I like. I condone. They went against traffic, right, with the body as well. <laughs> like they just gave no fucks at all. Like yeah, we're gonna do it all here. Everything that we can do wrong, we're gonna achieve. Cops. And they talked smack to the lawyer before and like, oh, you could follow us, <laughs> and then just drove against traffic yeah. the whole rest of the scene. Yeah. I feel like lawyers are the only thing that scare cops. Straight. <laughs> <laughs> Competent uh, lawyers. And these, these cops are uh, awful people. Uh, David Caruso is a terrible drunk and probably gives the worst wedding speech I'd ever heard. Yeah. The toasts he gives, Bad. the corniest <laughs> jokes, really offensive, like making everybody in the room feel awkward. Yeah. You don't talk about fucking the bride or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Or anybody. general rule. Calling people degenerate drunks. <laughs> I, I also think that uh, being a corny cop in this movie is why we have New Jack City. I feel like Wesley Snipe was like, yo, this, this can't be what people remember me for. Sure. You know, and he and the very next year he came back. He was like, yo, this is for the people. For play, He played a black cop named Flanagan. Yeah, he did none of that. Yeah, this. what the fuck? <laughs> and, they, and a white wife. Yeah, sure. That really hurt him. He was like, yeah, I can't be about, this can't be what my neighborhoods know me for. I, I need to come <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, he's strong. like, what do I, I'm just going to make four Spike Lee movies in a row. Exactly. Hold that. Well, uh, he's only he's in this movie because David Caruso is his good friend and uh, advocated for him to be uh, in this, which is which is cool that he gave him a leg up, yeah, and helped Rock him out. On. What a hookup! It's New York, you know? man. You you need to know people to get in. Amen. And uh, so these two dudes, they cannot stand that uh, that our boy Frank White is out of jail. They cannot stand it. They are at the end of their rope. They're like, we need to create a death squad. 
I'm, so, I'm just enamored by the by that conversation. Like David Crusley, yo, listen to me, listen to me. This dude Wesley, I know his name is Wesley Snipes, but trust me, he is perfect to play Flanagan. <laughs> like that combo is amazing. Woo! I named him Flanagan. You sure? Like, yeah. Trust me, he is the one. Where can I find him? And he's well, parked around the corner asleep in his car. I think. On, I think. Uh, Here's another anecdote I heard. He's, he's mad local. <laughs> yeah, he can be here in five minutes. <laughs> he's got to brush his teeth and shave in the backseat back of his Buick. But, uh, I oh, think, that's great. I think Larry Fishburne was going to play the Flanagan role, and he read Jimmy Jump and was like, nah. So, yeah, he, he petitioned he hard for that showed one. showed up in like an yeah. eight-ball jacket, put, put some grills in, and was like, I'm, I am Jimmy Jump. Yeah. Which is also balls to show up on set first day and be like, it just start being another character that yeah. you haven't been cast as. I mean, I don't think it's a first, but it's definitely it, 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 he did right by them. Yeah, like you just imagine you show up at a at a show and you're like, nah, I'm the headliner now. Right? <laughs> You've been demoted. I'm the captain. Um, you know, I don't feel bad about not giving too much of a, of a full briefing of this movie is because this is one that I think uh, you just have to see. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. See it. Like there, we we can go into details, but there's no way. I mean, let's let's talk about ratings here. Wow, let's talk about ratings. Yeah, let's. so uh, when this movie, uh, it was five million dollars to make. Yeah, it only made two point five million total okay. at the cumulative box world okay. world box office. No one liked this movie when it came out. Yeah, people it were was, shocked. Uh, it was booed, booed out. Abel Ferreira's wife. At walked. the time, walked out of the movie theater yep. during the screening. <laughs> the next day, the questionnaire, the writer and Larry Fishburne booed. Yeah, that's rough. I don't get it. They must have watched a different movie than they, I did. Yeah, well, people <laughs> people were not ready for how progressive this film mm-hmm. was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they they like racist gangsters. They didn't want a gangster that uh, tried to give back to the community right. and built multicultural. Uh, bridges. Yeah, Amen. they were more interested in cultural appropriation. Like uh, Chuck <laughs> Norris was the first white man to get a third degree black belt that year, <laughs> and that dude was front paging. Feel like Abel's wife walked out because she felt like this was his way of asking to have other girlfriends. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I knew. She's it. Like, you think you're Christopher Walken? You think you're the king of New York? You know, she stood up and was pointing and like, who's that bitch? <laughs> so, how do you rate this, gentlemen? So, I don't know, at 1 through 10, if I'm going to rate this as a film on its own, it's like a 4. Right. It's a, it's a really bad movie, but it's a, <laughs> it, I love the movie, but it's a bad movie. Yeah. As a piece of history, it's got to be like 8.5 to me. Like, it's up there. Yeah. As part, in part, I could see it being lower for a non-New Yorker or a non-hip-hop head, but, like, there is so many, like, there's things you flat out like over and over again listening to music that you're like, oh, they got that from there. Um, especially because I watched it after the fact. Like I heard, I, I the whole movie I was watching it like, oh shit, that's where the, from this song. Yeah. The whole and, and it happens to me over and over. I still find references to this thing on a regular basis. All over. Um, and uh, just what it meant to like you know one of my favorite rappers and Biggie. Like it it gave him uh, a, a new extension to his persona. Um, and I also I really feel like it kicked off that whole name yourself after a gangster thing um, that wasn't like necessarily like uh, famous Italian mafia or in like the case of like Wu Tang wasn't uh, 
cartoon like comic book <laughs> character you know like this was like a movie thing that people wanted to follow from there um and i think being frank i think he embraced it more than most people like he made the movie cool like i i, I think that every dollar this movie gets in terms of streaming some of it should go to valetta wallace to this day because <laughs> he made it relevant like if, if biggie doesn't get even if he got the cover and just never called himself frank white yeah. this movie dies no one sees it again but he made it so cool that people kept wanting to quote it. And it's a thing to this day. So, yeah, I'm going four movie, 8.5 cultural reference. Okay. Yeah. Cultural I, relevance. Yeah, that's yeah. where I'm at. I hear you. I give this movie uh, eight and a half plaza uh, door keys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hell yeah, dude. I, lo- I love this movie. I can't get enough of it. And part of it is because of how weird it is within like the gangster genre. It's pretty cut and dry. It's like um, a redemption story of a of a criminal who wants to do good with the limited time he's got left, and so that's that's simple. But what's really great about it is uh, how it portrays the police as being just the worst, and how uh, and, and just like the unique ways that um, uh, our boy uh, Christopher Walken is able to portray this gangster. He's like a tap dancing like dude who's able to swim in like a crack house or like go as high society as possible and um i love that he's polyamorous amen amen (laughs) it's like it's not normal he's not normal it's definitely like unrealistic but it's also a beautiful piece of art so you know high rex yeah there you go i'm going i'm going higher than that this is going to be to this this date (laughs) My highest rated for every reason that Gastor said, except for the cinematic quality, because I mean, you know, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? It's also just an Abel Ferrar weirdness movie. So if like you get it, you get it. If not, you don't yeah. get it. I grew up listening to hip hop. I grew up in that era. Yeah. Uh, this movie gets <laughs> 11, uh, <laughs> 11 tampon filled briefcases Amen. at a travel lodge. Everything about this movie is fun. The pacing's good. The dialogue is good. The yeah. fucking soundtrack is good. The characters are good. It's just a lot of fun to watch. Word. So now the three of us should drink a root beer. Right. Amen. <laughs> Where's my soda at, Gabe? <laughs> there, there's literally only one thing I, I always found unbelievable about this film is I, I have seen Cruz in my hood embrace a white boy. I, I believe that. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Right. But if we embrace a white boy... That white boy will, without question, be referred to as white boy. Yeah, sure. And that never happens in this whole film. They don't and, call him a uh, uh, Frank White Boy. Yeah, like yo, like <laughs> at the very least, like when he when he when he's doing the dance move, he just got out right. of jail. Somebody should have been like, "That's our white boy." Yeah, and it never happened. Not even not even because of the realism. I just felt like. God damn it, Frank White earned that. Like, you know, right. call, you know, embrace him as your white boy. Right. You know, like, he deserved to know that you guys only had one white boy. White boy you know, Frank. Yeah, give him that. <laughs> I just feel like they robbed him as a, as a character of that moment. He deserved to be known as their white boy, and they never gave him that, you know? Sure, sure, sure. I think this movie, one ideology in this movie is the dream of a multicultural, fully integrated society. Amen. You know? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Gaster, for coming out. Thank you so oh, much, thanks man. Thanks for having me. Nobody else to do this one with besides sure. Gaster. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's been this episode of Eat, Pray, Judge. Uh, Gaster, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on all socials at Gaster Almonte. 
All right, and I'm Gabe Pacheco, and you can find me at gabepacheco.com. And Eat, Pray, Judge is a we, – we crank one out every week. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Give us five stars because that helps us out tremendously. Just follow us on Eat, Pray, Judge – at Eat, Pray, Judge on our Instagram, Facebook. Uh-huh. Get in there. Comment. That's right. And, get involved. Uh, next week we'll be doing Day After Tomorrow. There you go. So get ready for some uh, some climate change discussions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. All right. Uh, thanks so much. We love you. Bye. All right. with the flowers, complimentary Trump Towers. Sit at the table, we could build for hours. I'm getting rich as a sense. Take a glimpse. The world is yours, written all over the blimps. Here's a toast to my foes. It's like a whole new beginning. With Quaaludes and cream and loads of women rocking linen. I got a plan to blow the Hiroshima, Japan.